y'all. Welcome to The Writer's Co-op, a business podcast for freelance writers everywhere. We are your co-hosts. I'm Udan Gan. And I'm Jenny Gritters. This week on the show, we're talking about the issue that sparked our interest in starting a podcast in the first place, getting paid. Many people we polled on what to name this podcast were very in favor of calling it F You Pay Me. We, (laughs) it was a hard decision. We ultimately decided against it, as you can tell, but we knew we still had to at least have one episode with that title. So here we are. Anyway, Jenny and I talk a lot about chasing invoices, holding your clients accountable for paying you, negotiating higher rates if a payment won't come in 30 days, and everything that goes along with that. It's probably maybe like 90% of our text conversations. It's true. So this is also the subject of Wudan's now famous self-published Medium post where she talked about how she went about chasing $5,000 worth of late payments. So I will link to that in the show notes, but I think it's worth a read and we'll also talk about it a little bit today. I will say talking about late payments makes me pretty mad and riled up. So if I get a little more heated than usual, that's why. (laughs) Yeah, totally legitimate. I feel the same. (laughs) And I would say like my story of not getting paid on time that I wrote about, honestly, every freelancer has probably faced that at some point or another. So we have a lot to say about this. In this episode, we're going to try to offer tips and solutions for protecting yourself from late payments, as well as ways to chase down late payments if you haven't seen a paycheck yet and you know it's owed to you. But before we do all of that pragmatic stuff, let's jump into story time, which seems to be how we're beginning all of our podcast episodes these days, I guess. So Wudan, tell me a story about not getting paid and what you did about it. Sure. Okay. So this story happened last May. I went on vacation for two weeks and came back expecting to be paid about $5,000 in total from three separate clients. As a freelancer, nothing is more panic-inducing than not working for two weeks, spending money because vacation, and then coming home to a decent amount of money just uh, missing. Financial panic is the worst, the worst, and the added injustice of that, it just, it sucks. So what did you do? Well, it was surprising to me. Like, I was really shocked that I hadn't been paid on time. Here's why. One of them was a client I've worked with before who's managed to pay me on time. A second had been very good at paying on time in previous recent months. And a third also seemed to be able to pay their freelancers on time. So first I was pissed, (laughs) rightfully so, I suppose. And I emailed everyone very, very diplomatically asking when to expect my payments because they were now past due. And I got lots of wishy-washy responses none of which told me when I would be paid. Every late payment with each client played out a little differently, but I was so fed up about spending so much time following up on payments, so I ended up billing all of them a late fee. Yes, this is the thing that I feel like you're famous for. So tell me, how much was the late fee? 20% of what was owed. Some people thought this was too much, but in reality, it's not. When your clients don't pay you on time, they're in essence taking out an interest-free loan from you, while all the other things do on a 30-day cycle, like your rent, your utility bill, your internet bill, and credit card payments are still due. There are no exceptions. Has anyone ever told Chase, so sorry I can't pay my bill, cool if I pay you 30 days late without paying a penalty on top of it? (laughs) 
This is exactly why late payments are so maddening. Like we're the ones footing that bill, right? We're the ones footing the interest. And we'll get into that math later because I actually think it really matters here. But it makes me so frustrated to hear you talk about this. It really sucks. Yeah. So in the end, all my clients tried to not pay my late fee or tried to talk me down from my 20% late fee. I did get paid eventually for both my assignments and the late fees. It was pretty painful, but it was over. I mean, from this story, I want to say the first thing in terms of advice is that if you're getting paid late often, the problem probably is not you. Yeah, this is a huge issue that you're pretty much guaranteed to face when you're a freelancer, I think. And real talk, like it just sucks. In many professions, you get paid before you do the work or at least like right after you've turned something in or maybe half up front and half after you've submitted the final product. But that's not the case for us. Yeah, some designers who read my late payment post messaged me to say that they usually use that pay structure for like half up front and half later. Yeah, a lot of my non-writer friends are consistently astonished when I tell them that I filed a story and I probably won't get paid for it for 45 days. It's really common to not get paid until 30 to 45 days after you've done your work. Like 30 days is kind of a best case scenario. So as I mean, you probably all know if you're freelancing, this can cause cash flow problems. It's really demoralizing. I think it's really emotionally stressful and it makes it tough to plan your life. Yes. After a certain point, I'm way less inclined to work with any clients with a reputation of paying late. So some magazines, while well-respected, are horrendous at paying freelancers. A few weeks ago, I saw that Outside, for instance, had owed over $100,000 to their freelance contributors, and they agreed to pay that amount. But I kind of don't even know what to say in a situation like that. Yeah, I often feel like the only way to find out who's good at paying on time and who's bad is also word of mouth. So if, you know, publications don't get held accountable very often, but there will be whispers of a place paying late and then things blow up, like in the case of Outside where they brought in some legal representation. So it really sucks. It sucks so, so much. I think the big question here is how do we protect ourselves and how do we go about chasing down these payments in a way that doesn't put all the pressure on us. So the first thing we should probably talk about is actually contracts. And if you haven't listened to our contracts episode, that's episode four in this first season, it's worth going back to that because we do talk a little bit about that there. But your contract is really what's going to give you the power to argue with a publisher if you're not getting paid on time. Dan, tell me, what are a few payment-related things that you like to build into your contracts or look for? The one thing that's very specific to late payments is how many days a client has to pay you once you've invoiced. So I try to get my contracts to say that I will invoice and then net 30, 30 days after you've received my invoice, you will pay me. (laughs) Another thing that's kind of relevant is asking for payment on acceptance rather than publication because you want to start that 30-day clock as soon as possible. And a magazine or newspaper can hold a story for weeks. And if your contract says you're paid on publication, that kind of really screws you over. Yeah, I think some clients don't want to agree to changing their payment schedules, like they have this set net 30, net 45, but talking to them about getting paid upon acceptance or starting that clock more quickly is a really good place to start with negotiation. So for example, I have a publisher I work for that is connected to a university and they pay me 35 to 40 days, 45 often, days after I've submitted my draft to them. That's a company policy. It's not something they're willing to change, but I can get them to start that 35 days 
from the time I submit my initial first draft and have it approved versus when the story publishes. It cuts down on the time by at least two weeks, which is really helpful since I definitely don't have control over how long it takes the editors to get through my piece. Udan, I know you also have some strategies for upping your rate if a publication doesn't want to pay you in 30 days, right? Yeah, I've gotten a little creative. One client I worked with last year had a net 90 clause that they just couldn't take out. And I knew it wasn't about the publisher, but the institution that they were a part of that would ultimately be paying me. So I asked something pretty gutsy. I asked if they could add compounded interest to my story fee. This would, in essence, build in any interest that they would owe me if they actually paid within 90 days. So let me back up a second. I used to tutor college-level math and also test prep math, so I love this stuff. (laughs) Compounded interest means that every month or week or whatever time frame, somebody would pay you a fee that's on top of the updated fee, not the original fee. So if a story is $1,000, 10% of that after the first month would raise it to $1,100. If the client pays a net $60, you could arguably negotiate for $1,210, etc. I've asked for interest on the fee for any clients with contracts that can't budge if their payment terms exceed net 30. And I've gotten this to work for quite a few clients who can't change them because of institutional or client rules. I think that's super smart because it does cover, you know, you think about if you can't pay your rent, you're going to have to pay interest. It's actually asking them to foot that bill for you. So I really love that. Tell me about your experience with asking for partial payment up front. I know you've done that a few times. What's it been like? Well, it's interesting to think about partial payment and late payment because as a freelancer, I think it's better to be paid for something rather than nothing. So asking for partial payment is not how most outlets traditionally work. So my experience has really varied. I can talk about a few things that have worked. Yeah, let's do that. So I've gotten one client to give me money on commission, sort of. Like I was about to embark on a three-week-long reporting trip to do a story for them. I asked if they could pay the kill fee as an advance. (laughs) This was kind of sneaky. I had an exchange on Twitter with their editor-in-chief, who used to freelance, about this. And he was basically like, we don't do this as a rule, but if you ask, we definitely can. So you bet I asked. Of course you did. I think that's really smart, though. Uh, You know, they're going to have to pay you the kill fee anyway, so maybe they can give it to you to help you pay some of your reporting bills. Yeah, certainly. What I've gotten a lot more success with is getting clients to pay a partial payment. That means I'll get a partial payment when I submit a first draft. It's also just better than nothing. Jenny, what about you? Have you negotiated for partial payments, advances, whatever you want to call them? Yeah, I actually have a sort of rough story about this. I I got burned the first time I tried to do it. So I was in the running to take on a $10,000 project. It was really interesting, and they brought me in for a long chat. I had made a proposal. I was pretty far down the pipeline of talking to them about this project. And I asked for one very specific thing which was half of the payment halfway through the project and the other half upon the submission of the final pieces of the project. It was for a brand. I knew they were going to have a lot of edit cycles. Like it was going to take a really long time. The project was supposed to last six months. So being out $10,000 for six months was really tough. So I asked for, right, half the payment halfway through, half the payment upon deliverables. They gave the project to another freelancer who had a, quote, more flexible payment mindset. Literally, that's what they said to me in the email. So I know firsthand that pushing back on payment schedules can be risky. And 
You know, the other thing is, though, I heard from someone down the line that the project ended up being really miserable, that they didn't value their freelancers. They didn't really understand what it was like to work with a freelancer, expected them, all the people working on the project, to really work with all the full-time employees on their schedules. So while I'm still a little bitter, I like to think that their response to my negotiation was actually a pretty clear red flag, and I might have been dragged in to do a lot more work than I was getting paid for. Yeah, I think negotiating for things like that can really show a client's true colors, if you will. Mm -hmm. Tim Herrera, an editor at the New York Times, said during a recent webinar about pitching that if any editors ever shame you for anything money related, whether that's asking for more money on a project or asking for things within your rights, they should be publicly shamed. (laughs) It's hilarious. Also very gutsy if anyone actually does that. (laughs) Yeah, I would say despite how outspoken I am about late payments, I've never resorted to public shaming. I don't find it that useful. I'm not sure what that accomplishes. I kind of appreciate his sentiment. Anyway, with all this partial payment stuff, if you're an All Access member, I'll leave some notes about specific things you want to look for in your contract to protect you from late payments. So let's talk about charging late fees as well, because Wudan, you talk about this all the time, and I think you're one of the few people who's very good at charging late fees, and I know you recently just did it again. So walk me through your late fee strategy, please. It's not great. It could be better. (laughs) What do you mean? So if you read my post about chasing late payments, I issued a 20% late fee. Yeah, that sounds standard, I think. Yeah, in retrospect, I should have asked for more. Why? Well, two of those clients that I wrote about were based in New York City. If you're a publisher based in New York, or if you're a freelancer based in New York and need to get paid, the Freelance Isn't Free Act applies to you. If you read that act closely, which I have multiple times... If a payment is late and the client is based in New York City, or if you are a freelancer living in New York City, you are entitled to double damages. Double damages means that you can basically make your late fee 100% of the project fee. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's last year what I only the legalese 20%. So I actually think it is helpful to talk through the math here because we alluded to this before, but a client not paying you is basically forcing you to take on the interest during the time that you're waiting. And I would imagine that's why you can charge double damages and it's also why you would charge a late fee because you're asking them to pay for that financial burden that you are currently shouldering. Yes, and you're also billing for the time that you're taking to follow up with them, which means looking at your contract. What does it say? Looking up something like the Freelance Isn't Free Act Going back into your invoices and figuring out what's 20% of that, the emotional labor of writing an email, there's a lot involved. Totally. I tracked my hours one time, one week when I was chasing down payments, and it was a solid like five to seven hours in my week, right? It's it's not a small amount of time. Do you put that late fee clause into your contracts or do you just charge them and say like, this is common practice per the Freelance Isn't Free Act? I will try and ask for it in my contracts. Most of the time I don't succeed. So what I try instead is to make sure, you know, contracts will say I'll be paid within 30 days. And usually they'll be okay with adding that if that's not already in there. And if they don't pay within 30 days based on that contract, I have something to go off of. And that'll be grounds for my late fee. Also, when I file my invoices, I always include a line about late fee for late payments. And if a client who's based in New York City doesn't stipulate net 30 in their contracts, it automatically goes to net 30 because remember, they're based in New York City and therefore subject to the Freelance Isn't Free Act. 
By the way, we're going to include a template in the all access portal that gives you language for filing a late fee. Because we know this can be scary and having pre-written language helps when you need to push for the payment you deserve. Jenny, have you ever issued a late fee? And if so, how did it go? Yes. So I got it into a contract with a new client and they ended up owing me about $50 extra on a $300 payment because they were late. So it wasn't huge. The late fee wasn't really that significant for a big company, (laughs) but the language, and I looked it up before this chat, was the language in the contract said the client will incur a fee of 2% of the total fee per day in addition to the initial fee after 35 days have passed from the initial invoice submission. So they were supposed to pay me within 30 days. But after 35 days, so I actually gave them a five-day buffer for, you know, to be nice, then they would be responsible for a 2% fee per day. And at 40 plus days out from my invoice, they still had not paid me. So they were extremely upset about the late fee. (laughs) They did end up paying me, but they also told me that it was not going to work out to work with me again because it was egregious that they had had to pay me extra. You know, I also didn't really want to work with them because the process of getting paid for such a small amount was like not worth my time. And that clause definitely held them accountable. But it also ruined a relationship. And I think this is one thing people get scared of when we talk about this. Like, if we push back for regular on-time payments, what if we don't get future work from that person? So did you end up working with the publications again, the ones you wrote about who you charged a late fee? Well, first of all, I just want to say with that client you talked about, Jenny, that that's insane that they were contractually, legally obliged to pay you and yet they put that on you and was like, you're being difficult. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I said, it just made it very clear that I didn't want to work with them again. But I also think like I'm very much a people pleaser by nature. So pushing back like this has been a very good exercise for me in thinking of this as a business practice, right? Like like you said, legally, they are obligated to pay me. But tell me about, have you ever broken relationships with people because of doing this? Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I now refuse to work with publishers and clients who can't pay me on time. So the clients that I wrote about, I haven't worked with them over the past year. I don't know, there's just really not a great excuse to not pay your contractors on time. I mean, from a business perspective, it's insanely exploitative. It's just a crappy way to treat any other human. So many publications are super reliant on freelancers because they don't want to spend more money on staffers with benefits as all of that. So yes, pay your freelancers on time. For me, it's really down to a matter of principles. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just really important to work with clients who value you. And from my perspective, a publication that has a track record of always paying late that's like a part of their business model, right? They want to have more cash that they can float for something else versus paying you. And once I think about it like that, I feel like I don't want to hitch my wagon to that train, right? So I know that it's really a privileged sentiment though to be able to say no to work. But I also think saying no to working with a client who doesn't pay you on time is just from a business standpoint, like really necessary, like we've talked about for unpaid time, but also so you're not footing the bill for the interest that is occurring while they're not paying you. Right. Your business is going to do better with a steady income stream and you'll be able to work more efficiently if you aren't always chasing invoices. Yes, I agree. So do you have any strategies for invoice chasing that you like to use? Yeah, well, when I chased down my own invoices, I was basically following up every single week. I really did not care if I was being annoying 
I needed my money. I deserve to get paid. I sent my deliverables in on time according to the contract that was in place. And I needed to get paid within whatever pay schedule was set forward. Yeah, there's nothing I hate more than sending those just reminding you to pay me emails. Like, I just feel needy and gross. And I don't know if I should be really aggressive or try to be nice. Like, it just pisses me off. And just to say it, like, I know it's not usually the editor who's at fault. It's usually a system that they're working in that is allowing you to, you know, not get paid, but they're the ones you have to bother. So it's just awful. But I have switched to using QuickBooks to remind my clients now. So I use like a basic QuickBooks online. I can include a link to that in the show notes as well. But I am not the one sending the invoice anymore. I mean, I am, but it comes through QuickBooks. And so it kind of professionally says, F you pay me (laughs) right now, right? It also lets me know when an invoice is due. So I don't have to track that, which is another bit of unpaid time, right? I don't have to write on my calendar when something would hit 30 days. So that helps a lot for me. Yeah, that's interesting. And I would say that like when I'm following up on late payments, it's not usually with my editor. Like I hate bothering my editor when... It's not their fault that I'm getting paid late. Agreed. Unless it actually is and they just like forgot to forward my invoice or something. I'm usually dealing with somebody at accounts payable. But you're right, Jenny. And I think QuickBooks is nice in that way to have a reminder. I put all my due invoices in my calendar and set it as a reminder to follow up. But because it took me so much time to chase down those payments, I actually hired an assistant She looks at all my payments, and if anything's 30 days away from being due, she'll follow up for me. That's so nice. I get a little bit envious when you talk about your assistant. I've been thinking a lot about getting one for myself in the coming months. It's a really good idea. Yeah, it's a good setup. I highly recommend if anyone is able to do this. I think for her, it's not emotionally loaded for her to ask for money because it's not her money. Like I am paying her to do my emotional labor. And I realize it's such such a big privilege to be able to outsource that. But it's been a really great investment and I don't regret it at all. I love that you do that. So we're going to include as well another template in the All Access Portal with a follow-up note on payment. It's going to allow you to just copy and paste that language into your email, which should reduce the emotional labor just a bit if you need to chase down a payment. I have another sneaky tip. I love it. Tell me. (laughs) Okay. Not everyone can afford to hire an assistant. Like, I think that's pretty obvious. For a long time, I didn't either. One thing that you can do for free (laughs) is create another email account. It's like yourname.bookkeeper or whatever. And just start sending all your invoices from that and pretend somebody else runs that bookkeeper email and like you don't have to sign it off in any way. Like when I send my invoices, I say like invoice for Wu Dan Yan, like on this date. So, I mean, we can schedule emails too. So when you see an invoice is about to be due, you can schedule an email to be sent from your bookkeeper email. And I somehow feel like there's this psychological thing where people will be like, oh my God, a bookkeeper, that's somebody like following up on behalf of this writer. (laughs) Maybe I should take that more seriously. I think it actually is a little helpful. That's awesome. I actually think, so, you know, my invoices come from my business, Zest Storycraft. And so it says, you have received an invoice from Zest Storycraft LLC. And there is definitely something there where I am taken more seriously because I am a company invoicing another company. And also, I think you're right, there's less of a sort of psychological component there, right? I separate myself a little bit from the personal 
I am asking you for money exchange. Okay, so moving along, Wudan, what do you recommend that people do if they are owed like a really big sum of money and it's been a couple months past when that payment was due? So not just a little bit overdue, but like way, way overdue. What is your advice? Two months is really pushing it. Honestly, once the client is late and non-compliant within paying the fee, when you go and remind them is a good time to be like, hey, my contract specified net 30 payment. If you can't pay me as soon as possible, I will have to charge a late fee. If they won't budge on the late fee, like some of my clients from last year, I would recommend finding an attorney. Have you done that? I have. How I did it was that a colleague recommended an attorney who could basically write a demand letter for me pro bono. That was great because lawyers can be insanely expensive. And I felt like you know, that demand letter would basically do the trick. I think another thing writers can do is to join a union for some form of representation. Or if many writers who have worked with one client have faced the same thing, that union usually has legal representation on, you know, who can help demand this money. Yeah, a union is a really interesting option here. You know, we mentioned outside at the beginning and a union is actually, that's how they sent a letter to get paid. So the IWW Freelance Journalist Union, that's the group that filed the letter for outside. There are several other unions. So there's the Freelancers Union, which is open to a lot of different creatives. And there's also the National Writers Union. And the way this works is you pay dues based on how much you make every year. And then you get access to various resources, one of which is often legal representation. So the NWU has legal resources, like they will help you write letters or organize group grievances, which is great. If there's a publication that's not paying everyone, like you can gather together and sort of try to push forward collective action. And they'll even help you go to court if you need to. The Freelancers Union, as far as I'm aware, doesn't have direct legal representation, but they do a lot of events, which I know is not applicable right now, but they may have some online events. And you can often speak to a lawyer during these events, which can be really helpful. Yeah, unions are great. If you're chasing a payment that's just not coming in, it's really worth seeing if other people are having the same problem. So talk to your colleagues. And if they are, consider getting union help. Having representation is really helpful versus just trying to deal with it on your own. And it can be worth the price of the dues. Plus, unions often have lots of other good resources too. Yeah, I think the big takeaway here is you're not alone if you're struggling to get paid on time. And it's not your fault. Like this is happening to everyone. It's a really rough part of this industry and honestly it should be better but it's not your fault it sucks repeat that to yourself like 10 times over also again you can protect yourself by reading your contract adding the terms that you want for payment and also negotiating payment upon acceptance rather than publication and if the timeline is too long for payment see if you can negotiate for a higher rate And this is important. I think it's really good to find a way to limit the emotional labor and unpaid time of invoice chasing, whether that means using a platform like I do, like QuickBooks or hiring an assistant like Wudan, if you're able, you know, it's not actually that expensive to do that, to have someone help you for, you know, five, 10 hours a month. So be kind to yourself and remember that chasing money is actually really emotionally exhausting. And if worse comes to worse, seek out legal representation. Get someone professional to help you or to at least send a letter on your behalf. Join a union. Also, I think it's worth saying asking to get paid on time should not lose you a gig, (laughs) but it might. 
I have a few stories to attest to that, right? So pressing a client for payment can break down a relationship, but it's worth asking if you want to be in that relationship in the first place. If that work isn't helping you pay your bills, like you've done the work but you're not getting paid, or it's dragging you into hours of unpaid work, could you slot in another client instead that would help you run your business in a more efficient way? Yeah, sometimes I feel like chasing down a late paying client is like being in an abusive relationship, right? It's like you want something, something from somebody that they quote unquote, owe to you that you obviously deserve, but you can't get it. Like, (laughs) it's super frustrating. But yeah, so there's no magic bullet to getting your late fee or your payment. Sometimes you can be out of money for God knows how long. But please do your research before working with a new client on how they pay. If they pay late and you can't deal with that uncertainty in your life, don't work with them. It might really not be worth it. Yeah, this actually comes down to our last episode about networking, like having a network of people who can give you information about which places are good to work with and which are not is really important because the best way to avoid a late payment is to not work with a client who is a chronic late payer. Don't perpetuate the late payment engine. Don't support clients who can't pay their people on time. Again, it's really a matter of principle and the more people who stand up like this, the better we will all be. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the note that we should really end on. I think we all need to take a stand on this so it will become less of an issue industry-wide or an issue at all. Like, I know a lot of people have come to me over the year or so and asked for advice or have really applauded me for taking a stand, but I don't even want that. I'm like, everyone should be doing this. Like everyone who files a late P is super brave and they are not feeding that late payment engine, but it's hard. It's hard to ask for payment, let alone late payment. And again, I feel this industry sometimes reeks of the sentiment that money is awkward to talk about, which is crazy because we are running businesses. But standing up for yourself and being confident about what you're worth is everything in this business. It's a business. Say it out loud to yourself like 20 times. You are running a business. (laughs) So on that note, we are going to head out for the week to run our businesses and chase our invoices. But please let us know if you have questions about chasing late payments. You can drop us a note, tell us your stories, tweet us, DM us, whatever. We want to know how you're dealing with late payments. We're always down to hear sneaky solutions that you have for getting paid on time. We want to hear what's hard and what's been successful. Leave us a voice memo, say hi. We will be on the internet. (laughs) See you on the internet, Jenny. Bye, Wudan. Season one of the Writers Co-op is made possible by a grant from the National Association of Science Writers. The Writers Co-op is hosted by me, Jenny Gritters, and Wu Dan Yan, and produced by Susan Vallett.